0: I think deep commitment over shallow connection looks like the desire to um, approach one another and be with another, one another. And I say that in the sense of, I think in today's day and age, it's very easy. If, if you have a disagreement with someone, I mean, you don't ever have to talk to that person again if you don't want to. Um, just with the technology we have and the ability to move uh, anywhere in the world really. And, and so the deep commitment, I think, uh, looks like valuing another person above ourselves in the sense that we hear their perspective to engage them in conversation and give them the grace and give ourselves the same grace that Jesus um, has offered us. I think that deep commitment can also um, look like um, just staying, staying in friendships and in community for the long run. So it, it looks like weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice, um, not just coming to church on a Sunday and then leaving, but really diving into relationships, finding community, um, and living life with other people. All right, well, good morning, Anthem Church. It is great to see you guys. And uh, isn't it fun to hear uh, Nathan and Anna just sharing about community, God's design for it. And so uh, this morning, that's the direction that we're gonna be going. We're in the middle of our value series. And because of that, this morning, we're talking about our value of deep commitment over shallow connection. And so uh, with that in mind, there was uh, uh, author and pastor about 100 years ago in New York City uh, by the name of Charles Jefferson. And a hundred years ago or so, he wrote, Building the brotherhood, this is our work, and work more taxing and baffling God has never given to mortals. Not until a minister strives to build a brotherhood or community does he realize how unsocial human nature is, how narrow and how cold. Not till then does he discover what havoc, sin has wrought. Even the Lord himself could not get 12 men to sit together at a table on the last night of his life on earth without an exhibition of their petty irritation and wounded vanity, which cast a deeper shadow over his already breaking heart. And so I think we all can think of that scene in the Last Supper the, the interaction that the disciples were having there. We can look at uh, different interactions throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. We can look in Scripture and see that sin wreaked havoc in pretty much every relationship we were ever reading of. And then when we think about our lives today as well, whether it's my marriage, whether it's your marriage, your family, whether it's my family, whether it's school stuff, if you're in in middle school, high school, there's been times where when you're in middle school or high school, there's sin that is wreaking havoc in some relationship. Maybe it's between you and the teacher. Maybe it's uh, between a classmate. If you're in college, you have these things called roommates, and sometimes they are gracious and wonderful people, and other times it's like, you are getting under my skin because The dish thing, right? Like over and over, that becomes a point of conflict for people. And so we've seen sin wreak havoc in relationships all over the place. And I think we all wish that when we came into the community of God, when we came into a church, that that would be the place where there's an exception. But if you've been in the church for more than a few minutes, you know that sin wreaks havoc in relationships here as well. And even though we can understand what God's design for community is, that we would be people who are genuine and loving and full of fruits of the Spirit, so many times we hurt one another with our words, with our actions. And and that's not just something at the leadership level, the attender level, the member level. That's across the board. Sin has wreaked havoc in relationships. And So often because of that, uh, our relationships are are defined by good intentions rather than healthy community. We crave healthy community. We we have those good intentions for it. But many times as we're living that out in our lives, that isn't exactly the case. And so uh, a service might have a crowded room, many people in it. But a lot of times as people exit those doors, it, it more so feels like, We showed up and listened to someone speak, or we showed up and lifted our voices and sang. But as I exited, it didn't really feel like I was with my family. But more so, I was attending a thing that I happened to be at with a group of other people. And a lot of times, that's what uh, shallow connection in a community looks like. And because of that, a lot of churches throughout the world, not just now, but throughout history, have been very wide in their membership, but very shallow in their commitment to the Lord and their commitment to one another. Right? Like when when we think about different churches that we've been a part of in different seasons in this church, there's been times where we've maybe been marked by more shallow connection than we would like to admit rather than deep commitment to the Lord and to one another. And so it's 90% ideal and 10% reality a lot of times when it comes to that iron sharpening iron community that God's word talks about. And so this morning we're going to be in Romans, the book of Romans with one another, in chapter 12, talking about how can we actually be on a path that cultivates healthy community in a world of shallow connection right cuz our whole world struggles with this it's not just a church struggle where we have shallow connection with one another at times it's it's throughout the world that's why uh, there's many people who have a thousand followers but it feels like life is still lonely and so it's something that we, we see all throughout culture and something, sadly, that we experience in the church. But by the grace of God, as we follow after him, we get to work on that problem. And so this morning, uh, the path that we're going to be talking through is how to cultivate that deeper community, that meaningful community, God's design for community with one another. And so there's going to be three points that we talk through. Number one, we're going to talk about how we have to understand first what God's design for community is. Secondly, we must be humble enough to confess the ways that we sabotage healthy community because the community is great until we get here and begin to sin, right? And so there's ways, there's things that we do to distract, to deter, to pull people away from one another, things where we might have convictions in our heart that we don't share, and at times we sabotage community knowingly sometimes, other times not knowingly. And then finally, we'll talk about how we must actively engage as community builders. It's not the church leader's job to to create community for everyone. It's up to each individual who's claiming the name of Christ to be part of that community, not just to receive, but to give back to that as well. And so let me pray for us, and we'll begin to walk through Romans 12 with one another. And so, Lord, we, we thank you that we can be in here, that uh, we, we can walk through your word to better understand how to live life. And Lord, it's one thing uh, to pray a, a prayer of surrender in a place of brokenness and humility before you. It's one thing to do that once, God, and it's another thing to try to live that out day after day faithfully by ourselves, let alone with other people, God. And so I just pray that you would help us understand from Romans How we can engage in community in a way that leads to health and deep commitment. Even though we live in a world of shallow connection, God. In Jesus' Jesus' name, amen. We'll go ahead and turn to Romans 12. If you are not already there, I'll do just a a quick flyover of uh, the book of Romans. Uh, Paul has written uh, this book to a group of believers in Rome. He, he writes much of the book speaking on the doctrine of salvation, talking about this is how you become in a relationship with God. And so a lot of the book, uh, up until chapter 12, has been clarifying this is how you can be in a relationship with the God who made you but as we get to chapter 12, there's a transition point there's a therefore that shows up in the text and it begins to instruct the hearers of the Word at that time and to us now to know and understand how to live out our life in light of salvation, as worship to God and so Paul opens with "Therefore in light of salvation, here's how you live your life as worship to God. And so that said, uh, if you are able, stand and we're going to read through the passage. With one another. Romans 12 will be starting in verse 9 and read through 21 so that in the text we can see the path for cultivating community. Romans 12, starting in verse 9, it says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Be seated. And so if we want to be on a path that's cultivating community in a God-honoring way, in a world of shallow connection, we got to understand what God's design for community is. And so the words of Paul in Romans here, in Romans 12, we can see what God's design for community is. And so in the beginning of Romans 12, we didn't read through this, uh, but it talks about how our true worship to God Is through presenting our bodies before him as a living sacrifice. That's what true worship is. Worship isn't just lifting our voices. It's living our lives as an act of true worship to the Lord. And so that's what the first two verses talk on. And from there, Paul then begins to say, okay, in a church community, in verses 3 to 8, we didn't read that either. But in 3 to 8, he talks about we each are gifted with something that we can bring and offer to the Lord in his community. And so we each have spiritual gifts, special things that God has wired us with so that we can give back to the community that he's given us. Because that's what three to eight was talking about. But as we get to nine to 21, the rest of the chapter, it's more so zooming in on the individual life. The true marks of a Christian is what the heading is in some of your Bibles. And it begins to lay out, this is how you show up into community. And so in 9 to 13, it talks about loving one another with a brotherly affection. It talks about outdoing one another and showing honor. It talks about contributing to the needs of the saints around you, showing hospitality. And so we see through this text how to worship God through our relationships. And God has an expectation, like God has an expectation in the way that we show up in the relationships that we have. It's not something where community just happens or good relationships happen and we kind of just live it out. Like God has a specific plan for how we show up in the relationships that we do have. And so the ingredient that Paul lays out to the Roman church in verse 9, one of them is, it says, be genuine. That means to be wholehearted with one another, not concealing things, but the authentic self, the true self showing up as you interact with fellow believers around you. That's one of the ingredients that he talks about is being genuine. In verse 10 and 13, where he's talking about outdoing one another and showing honor, when he's talking about contributing to the needs of those saints around you, He's talking about being others-minded. In the words of Tim Keller, it's practicing this freedom of self-forgetfulness, where it's not that you don't value yourself, but it's where you value other people around you in light of who God has called you to be in community. And so there's an ingredient to be genuine. There's an ingredient to be others-minded. And then in verse 16, it says, Live in harmony with all. When at all possible, be Peaceable, among others, and so that's how Paul is describing. These are the things that you have to do. How you show up in community, and now we're going to read from Acts in chapter two and see what that community looked like, lived out among the early church. And so in Acts two forty-two to forty-seven, it says, "And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, so they were gathering and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers." And so as we look at that passage in Acts that Luke wrote, we can see that's what the community looked like when people were showing up in their individual relationships. They were sharing with one another. When they saw needs, they did what they could to help meet those needs. There was this unity that was untainted that they had as the early church. Jesus had just gone to be with the Father. The Holy Spirit has come. They're living among one another. The gospel's being heard This Jesus who just died, he was resurrected. Now he went to be with the Father, and he's given us his spirit. They're living that out. And their community had that sense of togetherness, and they were sharing among themselves. But by the time Paul is writing this book to the Romans, clearly there was some instructions that needed to be given because that community was struggling to model that early church that was spoken of in Acts. And so God's design for community would be that we would be genuine people, that we would be others-minded, and that we would be living in harmony among the brotherhood, among the family of God. And so we see God's design for community. But even though Paul and Luke both give us a good example of what that community looks like and how to get there, there's still this thing that shows up. Every time we we join church, when we're here on a Sunday morning, there's this thing that happens where even the, the day that we claim to start following after Christ, we show up with sinful hearts and sinful hands. And with that comes sin that affects other people in community. And so as we look at Romans 12, I think it's important for us to notice each of the things that Paul is speaking on, because those are the things that we struggle with as we're in community with one another, and those are the things that we have to confess and repent of, because those are the dynamics that sabotage healthy community that God has designed for us to thrive in. And so the first way often that we sabotage a healthy community is we pretend to love others. In verse 9, it says, let love be genuine. What Paul is inferring here is that as the Roman church was interacting with one another, there were times where they were not being genuine with one another, but instead they were showing up half hearted. They were interacting with one another in a way that was leading people astray. And because of that, it was creating not deep commitment and healthy community, but shallow connection among the church in Rome. And Paul had been around the block long enough to know that this was going to happen with the church in Rome. So he's saying you need to let your love be genuine as you guys interact with one another. People have the capability and tendency to pretend in relationships. And even though that might seem simple or small or petty, when we show up half-hearted or when there's this pretend love of someone else, it's actually very hostile towards that community. So for example, if there's certain things in my marriage where it's like, man, I really feel this conviction uh, to to share this thing with Peyton about, man, I I think that God's calling us to go start a church, but I'm scared to bring it up. She might not like the idea. And I, I keep that from her, keep that from her. That right there is building a wall between her and I, because I'm not sharing that which the Lord is placing in my heart. And so if there's things that happen within a church or within a small group where there's dynamics going on, where it's like somebody doesn't like the way that something happened, it doesn't get brought up. And when maybe somebody seeks them out and be like, are you good like, with what happened there? If any of you are like me, sometimes it's easy in that setting to be like, oh, yeah, no, we're good. I'm fine. That didn't bother me. And on the inside, it's like, yeah, I cannot stand that group or that setting or that individual or that thing that happened, and when we pretend to love other people by just giving them like this good facade of like, yeah, I'm good, but on the inside, we feel the opposite. That creates a barrier. That burns the bridge and not builds it. And so when we pretend to love other people by just helping them hear what they want to hear, that causes divide and division. In verse 10, when Paul says in the text love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor he's implying as well that the romans struggled to show true affection affection there also means fondness also means to cherish there was this trend this theme that must have been showing up in the, in the roman church where there wasn't this brotherly affection maybe they were in proximity they were around one another They were acquainted with one another, they were connected with one another, they talk about things at times, but they didn't have this marked, clear, seen, known, felt, brotherly affection. They missed the target with that. And and that reminds me of of my life where I, I get the head nod thing going on. Like this will happen a lot on Sunday mornings after service. Maybe I'll just be talking to somebody who I just met or, or one of the guys that I've discipled or, or just one of my friends, family in, in this room and they'll be talking right at me and I'm like giving them eye contact and I just get like the head nod going on. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Does that happen to you guys? Where it's just like, you're, you're showing I'm here. And it's like, no, you're not. I can see it in your eyes. You're thinking about something else. Like, I do that all the time. And that's not brotherly affection. Like, that's like, that's somebody acting like it, but not living it out. Pretend love. And so how does pretend love sabotage God's plan for community? Rather than cultivating a, a holy nation where we're being a representation to the world, of health, affection, and love of God, instead of being that, we're creating more so of a holy mess because on a Sunday morning, it'll be there's 350 facades that show up and smile, sing together, and then walk out those doors, and there's no real sense of connection and community and family because it's just 350 facades that are showing up. Maybe pretending to love one another but not seeking one another out. Maybe pretending to love one another but actually behind closed doors or in smaller groups within that church, talking about how there are things that drive them nuts about the way things are done or about the thing that happened in that small group or about the the way that that person handled that conversation. And it's when we start to have that inner chatter going on when we start to allow a wall to be built between us. Between us and the people that we really love with this brotherly affection. And so, pretend love is a real case that happens not just in the early church, but now, today, and not just beyond our church, but in this church. And so, we need to ask ourselves, we need to like zoom in, look at our heart. Am I embodying true, genuine love and affection and care for the fellow? believers around me? Or is it more of this half-hearted, I'm going to give you a simple answer, I'm not going to seek you out sort of relationship? Behind closed doors, pretend love gives birth to fracture, not unity. second way we sabotage, at times, healthy community is that we prioritize personal ambitions over seeking other people's needs. In verse 13, it says, contribute to the needs of saints and seek to show hospitality. How many times do we live in life as if our head is in the sand and our feet are up here and we just don't see people's needs? How many times are we running so hard after our own personal ambitions, our own dreams, our own degrees, our our own success in whatever career field we might be in, our own relationships that we're really excited about? How often are we running 110% towards that but in a place where we're not noticing other people's needs? Or maybe we are noticing other people's needs and we are sensing that conviction from the Spirit to help them, to serve them, to love them, to slow down, to be with them. How many times do we sense that but then be like, "Ah, I would, but I got to go do this thing. I have to finish this. Well, I have to to do that. I think when we look at the way that Jesus interacted, we have to understand that, that there is a time and place for us slowing down to contribute to the needs of fellow saints around us, to seek to show hospitality, open up our front door, welcome people into our home. There's a time and place for that. That's what the early church thrived at. And so in Romans 12, 1, Paul declares that sacrificing our life is a living sacrifice before the Lord is how we worship him. And I think the, the reason why there's literally uh, from 9 to 21, there, there's 25 different commands that I counted uh, that, that Paul lays out here. And I think that he lays all of these out here for the Roman church because they were really struggling to actually serve and love the Lord and the people in the Lord's com- community because they were running after their own selfish ambition. And so in verse 11, when it says, do not be slothful, I think that's probably said because they were being lazy with their faith. When it says, be fervent in spirit, they had become apathetic in their faith. When it says, contribute to the needs, I wonder if they were selfish with their possessions. And so he's calling them out on that. He's like, you got to contribute to the needs of the saints around you, not just hold Verse 13, show hospitality. Maybe they were being selfish with their time. Don't be haughty and associate with the lowly. Instead, maybe there was this just air of pride that they had in their life where it's like, I'm only going to interact with the people of a certain demographic. That's going to be my people. That's going to stay my people. He's calling them out there. In verse 20, when it talks about feeding their enemies. I think that was brought up because they had conditional rather than unconditional love for the brothers and sisters and the faith. And so do our lofty ambitions supersede other people's needs? Do we reserve our best energy, our best finance, our best time for ourselves? If so, I believe when, when we do that over and over and over again, we're sabotaging the depth of God's community. Is that where you're at? this morning. A third way we sabotage healthy community is we grab our parachutes and jump the moment we hit turbulence. So imagine we're all like just flying a plane here of healthy community and we're loving it and things are great. Maybe we've been going here for like uh, a couple months and it's like, man, nothing really bothers me. I love the way things are done. I love the, the small group that I'm in and then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, Like there's a little bit of turbulence going on. What do I do with this? What do I do with this? Our tendency in that place is to be like, all right, number one, I gotta find where the parachutes are. Number two, I gotta put that thing on. And number three, I'm gonna jump, pull that rip cord because I am not gonna be part of something that's unstable. And when we hit turbulence, we really like the idea of jumping. And it's just like, mmm, I'm going to try it out my own way. Or, oh, I I bet other planes don't have turbulence. And we jump. And so when we look at God's word, though, we see that Paul distills two types of turbulence in the text. In verse 12, he says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Sometimes we do have personal trials and tribulations that do come up. Maybe it's a loss of a job. Maybe there's uh, just you, you had to move from one place to another and it's hard to get to know your neighbors or it's, it's hard to get to know the church community around you, the people in your workplace, and that transition has been different than you expected. Maybe there's been some unmet expectations with your job and there's just like that, that personal trial that's been in front of you and it felt like you were going in a good direction. Then in front of you, you're like, this is not, nope, this is different than I wanted. This is different than I expected. And then we get in that spot. And we're in that place of trial. And I think a lot of times our tendency is like, I don't know what to do with this. And so we kind of just disengage from our community, from our friendships, and we're just like, I just really need to figure this out on my own. But Paul also talks about interpersonal conflict. In verse 14, he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And 20, he says, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Sometimes we we butt heads with other people. That's a human thing. That's not just a you thing. That's a human thing. When we we are willing to enter into a relationship with other people that is deeper than shallow, sometimes we get into places where it's like, I don't know how to talk on this subject with this person. Or, Or everything was great with that friendship until I saw the decision that they made where everything was really great uh, uh, about the workplace and the environment there until this thing happened. And then because of that, phew, I don't even say my company's name out loud because it's an embarrassment to work there. Like we, Our mind goes there pretty quickly, doesn't it? And we have interpersonal conflict where we're just not seeing eye to eye with people. And in that setting, it's like, phew, better start finding another job. And we jump ship. And that happens in the church. And even though I think it's really understandable why we have that tendency in our heart, that insecure feeling of like, ooh, I don't know about this community anymore, I don't know about this relationship anymore, I don't know about this workplace anymore, this church anymore. It's really understandable that we get those feelings, but it's not necessarily biblical that we just jump the second that there's some turbulence. It's not God's design for us to back out, for us to put on the parachute and jump. God has a different design. Verse 12 says, be patient in trial." In verse 20, it says, give your enemy food and water. Wouldn't that be weird and wild (laughs) if we loved our enemies in that way where we said and did the very opposite thing that they would expect? That's called unconditional love. And that's the way we went. People who might be enemies to see the love of Christ. It's not easy, but that's the call. We're made to endure turbulence together with joy, with prayer, and with love. And, and here's another thing, too. In Proverbs 18:1, it says, He who isolates himself pursues his own selfish desires. I think a lot of times when we put that parachute on and jump out, we think it's going to be so much better. But quickly we see, I'm on my own out here, and this is different. And there's no engine, and I'm just floating. And then there's all the fears and insecurities that come with that when we're on our own. And then it's like, all right, well, I'm I'm to the ground now. Like, praise God, I made it to the ground. Just going to get in another plane. So many times when we're in that place of like, I just need to jump. I need to back out of this community. We then get into a place of we're isolated. And then we begin to pursue our own selfish desires. And rather than engaging in community with people, we just check out. And I'm not old, I'm 32, but I've lived long enough to know a lot of times when I check out and a lot of times when I disengage, I then start to tell myself a lot of stories about how life's terrible, other people are the worst, or on other days, what's wrong with me? I can't figure this out. And we have so much inner critic going on when we're alone. So even though it's understandable that we want to jump, God's design is that we lean in. And it's like, yeah, there's some turbulence, let's ride together. And so there's ways that we sabotage community. But God has a plan for us with that, and it's in his word. The final part of cultivating community that's marked by deep commitment and health is that we actively engage as community builders. And so the the book of Romans was written to a group of believers. In verse 1 of chapter 12, it talks about how they became brothers in the faith through adoption. They were adopted into the family of God. And as they were adopted into the family of God, they each were called to live out what's spoken of in 9 to 21. They each were called to build, actively engage in the community around them. This wasn't Paul writing this just for himself in his journal of like, man, i got to do these things, these 25 commands before the Lord, so I can be healthy in community. He didn't just write that for himself. He didn't write that just for the church leaders in Rome, for the deacons in Rome. He wrote it for every believer who was hearing it and reading it. And that's for us as well. We have to be able to see that 9 to 21 is talking about me and my life in community, And if I want community to be healthy, I need to see these verses and actively build my community with the Lord by surrendering and confessing the ways that I've sabotaged our walk, like between me and God. And I need to be able to work with those around me who I've maybe created tiffs or tension or awkwardness with. We have to be able to actively build up. Because by default, most of the time, when we're not building up, we're tearing down. So we actively need to engage as community builders. In verse 2, it talks about how rather than being conformed to the world, we can be transformed by the renewing of the mind. If we, as believers, are showing up to church during a Sunday morning, if in our homes we're in the Word of God, we're reading it, we're applying it it, we actually get to see this transforming take place, where it's like, man, gave my life to Christ at 21, kept surrendering myself to him in this area, in this area, in this area. That individual does that at 21, at 31, I mean, they are more holier than they were at 21, and they are therefore being a better witness, and so as we continue in the faith, we're to continue to grow and be a light, and in being a light that is Our witness. And so, if believers are doing that in community, brokenness can be replaced by healing. Gossip can be replaced by vulnerability, and loneliness can be replaced by friendship. But it takes us investing and individually showing up and living that out. We don't have to stay how we are. Or, or as we're going through those different ways that we sabotage community. If you're like, ooh, that is me to a T right now, or that, that was me to a T last week. We don't have to stay how we've been. We get to keep growing. Like we, we have the, the spirit of God within us to keep growing even when we've messed up. We just have to be humble enough to, to bring that before the Lord and the, the individuals that we might have hurt. That's the joy of following after Christ. And then as we do that corporately, so if we all take on that individual responsibility to do that, then corporately what happens, we become less a church with maybe mile-wide membership and an inch of depth, and we become a church that is marked by depth in community with one another rather than shallow connection, which, which gets to be something that the world then sees, whoa, there's something different about that community, about that individual and so we can mend our cultural battle of shallow connection inside and outside of the church by doing our part and showing up with one another and actively engaging to worship the Lord through how we interact in community. I read three articles this last week. Two of them were helpful and another one convicting. One of them was, was talking about a Cigna Research Uh, had put out this statistic that 60% of people in the United States struggle with loneliness. Six out of 10 people that we see struggling with loneliness. If we actively work to engage in community and be community builders, we get to work on that problem with one another. And as we wrestle with loneliness at different times, we get to bring that before fellow believers and ask for prayer, We get to interact with one another in a way where it's like, yeah, this is a thing in my life, and and it's a struggle, and I've been here for a while, and I don't want to be here. But the more we open up with people about that, the more we get to see the the glory of God as we grow through that. Barner Research, 55% of people between 18 and 37 are depressed, anxious, or unsafe. They they have this feeling of, "I, I don't feel secure here. They have this feeling of, I'm disconnected with other people around me, and I don't know if that's because of something with them or something in me. And that feeds into anxiety. Uh, Of that same population, 75% of them would say that they are searching for a purpose. If we are actively engaging within this community and within Columbia and on Mizzou's campus, we get to help work on this problem. And again, as we wrestle with it personally, we get encouragement from fellow believers. And the final thing that I was reading, and I have to preface this with, I have no problem with emotional support animals. I have two dogs. I love animals. I'm a fan of Team Animal on planet Earth. But I was reading this article that talked about 200% increase in emotional support animals. And I'm fine with that. Like I'm okay with that. But I also continue to read... And it was glorifying dogs over people. And it it talks about how dogs have this great characteristic that we don't. But when I look at the Word of God and He talks about community and how we have been made in His image, God has a design for us to be able to support one another and encourage one another. And we don't have to outsource that to our four legged friends. And again, I have no problem that there are emotional support animals. I worked in special education and know that they can have a great impact on kids who need to feel some security. But here's what I read. It says, dogs have human characteristics. Their faces and their bodies are expressive. They show visible signs of emotions, but dogs are different in that they don't have the complicated parts of human interactions, which I would agree. They don't pass judgment. They aren't hypercritical and recover quickly from hurt or disappointment. Dogs have much of the good parts of companionship and almost none of the bad. And I don't disagree with that being written and that there are complications in being human and interacting with one another. But I had a roommate who who told me this one time. He's like, Nick, I just, I don't know what to do. These relationships that I have are not working. I just want to get a Dog. And he just wanted to say, I am done with the human race. And if I'm going to connect, it's going to be through another means. And I'm going to feel supported and loved and secure by getting this animal. And I think we have such a chance as a church in a time when there is so much wrestle to, to know what to do with our life as we are facing these feelings or these insecurities, we have such a chance to show up with people and be real and authentic and love them with this very thing that Paul was talking about, where we're being genuine with one another, where we're being others-minded, where we're seeking out harmony with others when at all possible. And if we want to do that, we have to actively engage as community builders. Charles Jefferson continued to write in his book, Building the Church. It's easy for most Christians to listen to sermons. This lays slight strain on Christian character. It's easy for many Christians to give money. Some of them will give it generously. It's not difficult to persuade certain of the elect to engage in Christian work. Work among the submerged, baptized, has, many, has in many places become even fashionable. But for church members to be brotherly with one another, this is indeed difficult. In many quarters apparently impossible because of time we will stop there. It's not an easy work to have healthy community. But again it is God's design for us. Having community that's defined by health and deep commitment goes beyond listening to sermons, it goes beyond giving our time and talent and treasure, it goes beyond being fashionably involved. It goes beyond sending people overseas like this this last week. We sent three college students overseas to go share the love of Christ in Southeast Asia. And they're gonna be there for two months, building relationships, getting to know people, loving them, sharing the good news. But we cannot ride our faith on their decision to go. Like we have to be able to show up as individuals and have that personal investment and sacrifice to build up and not tear down community. And so the reality is our community can grow deeper, but it takes you. And it takes you among one another. It takes me. It it, it takes the body of believers to display the love of Christ in the community that God has designed for us. So there's four things that are going to be up on the screen that we can pursue this summer and in the life of our church, that if we do these, it will have an impact that creates more depth in this community. If we commit to open up the word daily, we get to commune with the Lord. I think half of the conflict exists in our lives because we're a half mile away from seeking the Lord. We're just so caught up in the rat race of life that it's like, yeah, I, I, for some reason, I find myself not really loving people super well around me. I think a lot of times it's because We're caught up in life and not seeking the Lord. I wonder if we opened up our home on a weekly basis to commune with with the body of believers, if we opened our front door and had a meal with people, we would get to know more of their stories, share our own story of what God's doing in our life. If we commit to do that once a week, it's gonna make an impact. It's summertime, get out the grill. If we open up our heart, We can mend places where there's brokenness. Some of us have things to work through with other people. Maybe this summer it's just that one person that comes to mind. If you committed to to put some investment into that brokenness, they're gonna be able to see your deep commitment to the Lord and your commitment to them to find health and unity. I think another thing we can do is open up our eyes to love the lost and the stranger. It talks about hospitality in the text and hospitality is a great way to practice God's design for community. And if you're in here this morning saying, I don't know uh, about the Lord, I don't know about the Lord's community, in Christ, we have the best relationship and the most security we could ever have. And so if that's you this morning, consider trusting in the one who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He died so that we could be in community with him. He was resurrected. That resurrects our chance at being in relationship with God and having more health with one another. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I I just, uh, again, thank you that that we can have this word uh, as a guide to our life, that that we get the the Holy Spirit as believers to uh, continue to grow. Uh, We don't want to to be a community that's defined by shallow connection. We want to be a community that's defined by deep commitment to you, to your word, to your people, God. And so I just pray that the different things that that I might have to work through, individuals might have to work through in here, God, uh, I, I pray that those things would be surrendered before you so that as we continue on in this life together, we'd be able to experience more grace and forgiveness and unity in places where there's been brokenness. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the good news of Jesus that we get to be in relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.